Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics that are important to our lives. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, scientists, innovators, and sometimes people who just have fascinating stories. Today, our guests are Judge Benis Aldanda, president of the National Judicial College at the University of Nevada, Reno, and Judge Gail Williams Byers. They discuss new courses designed specifically to train judges in ways to create and maintain anti-racist courtrooms across the country. President Aldana, the National Judicial College has long time been in the forefront of judicial education. But this past year, you started a new course that I want to talk about, and that's the Anti-Racist Courtroom Theory and Practice course. Before we get into the details of that course, what was your inspiration to begin this kind of curriculum? Thank you again for inviting me to um, into this conversation. As you may recall, the last time we uh, talked, Right. Um, I had uh, mentioned this course, uh, and this course uh, was inspired uh, after George Floyd was murdered, and uh, and the country had a new racial reckoning, and uh, and I wanted to make sure that uh, the college took advantage of the momentum, the time, to deal with this issue beyond just uh, mere um, surf the surface. Um, as you mentioned, the college has been in the forefront and in a um, number of these issues. Um, and we've never really had a course that really uh, directly address um, how to be an anti-racist, particularly how to have an anti-racist uh, courtroom. And so I was also inspired by um, Ibrahim Kendi's uh, book, How to Be Anti-Racist, and wanted to bring um, a group of committed judges to help develop the curriculum. And one of those judges is uh, Judge uh, Gail uh, Williams-Byer, who is with us today, I think. Uh, Judge Byers, you are I am, I am. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. I would also say that I think, um, just as President Aldana has said, they, the inspiration for this course really calls upon judges to be more face forward with the issues that 
they are dealing with in their own communities. We often like to think of things as happening someplace else in some other community. Um, but quite frankly, any town USA is often in our own backyards. And yeah. having the National Judicial College raise not only the awareness, but um, the lifting of this conversation to the level that it has um, not only um, provided inspiration for those judges that attended, and we can talk a little more about that, but I think it also gave them the agency to take these messages back to their own backyards and to yeah, and and have it, those conversations there. Yeah, and, and what we wanted this course to be is to have an opportunity to have those hard conversations. And I know that there's plenty of space and opportunity to do that for judges. Um, however, as Judge Gail williams pointed out, the college is very unique in, in gathering judges um, to have those conversations. And, and the Curriculum Development Committee structured a course in a way to make sure uh, that um, the conversation, um, while it could be difficult, uh, provided individuals um, the freedom to to participate and um, confront um, the issues having to deal with um, racism uh, in our own history as a country and some of the systemic issues that we know um, are uh, confronting and challenging our, our justice system. Let me ask you uh, just a logistical question before we get into the, the the nuts and bolts of the course, and that is your first course that you had late this past year in 2022, the inaugural course, was uh, held in Memphis. Mm -hmm. I see on your calendar that your second course is scheduled for uh, Montgomery, Alabama. Is there significance to those two locations and this particular course? Yes, there is uh, significance. And um, one, as you know, the National um, Civil Rights Museum is located in Memphis. Uh, and those two cities, Memphis and Montgomery, as you know, has been the um, heart where um, civil rights movement have, uh, was strongly present and also some of the issues that civil rights movements were addressing were uh, in those uh, cities, uh, in those places. And we wanted judges to have an opportunity to also have some interaction uh, with the museum. And also in Montgomery, we will have um, Brian Stevenson uh, working with us uh, to uh, address and teach um, the course and in collaboration with the Equal uh, Justice uh, Initiative, his uh, organization, and as well an opportunity to visit the National uh, Peace and Justice uh, Memorial. Judge Byers, since you were a faculty member, could you give us sort of a thumbnail sketch of the kinds of judges and how many judges came to this first course? Um, thank you, Judge Hodson. And what I'll say is also to President Aldana, I am 
just grateful to have had the opportunity to be a part of the development of this curriculum. Um, and at the time that it was developed, I don't know, and I think President Aldana can speak to it more intelligently, I don't know that it was anticipated that the course would become annualized. But after all of the hard work um, went into creating this very, very strong course, I mean, it, it did everything from teach from the practical to the theoretical and everything in between. I believe the response that we had from judges all across this country, which I think caused this to be probably one of um, the most popular first release courses for the National Judicial College that they've experienced um, in a very, very long time, if not in its history. Um, this course was broadly attended um, by judges, and I want to say every corner of the country was represented. We even had judges who came from other um, other countries who participated in this course. And I'll never forget um, having an opening experience where one of the activities we played was Oppression Monopoly, um, which is a version of Monopoly with a very interesting set of rules. And during that time, there was one judge who remarked he had never played Monopoly ever. So the idea that we were playing it even differently than how the rules are imagined was extremely eye-opening for um, some of the judges and even for those who had had experiences playing Monopoly in the traditional sense, um, really gained insight on perceptions, not just their own, but the perceptions that and the feelings and experiences of the people that appear in front of them in their court um, were having. And I really do think that impacted how they are able to process information, how they're able to view litigants. It's not intended to change the judges thinking on how they will apply the facts to the law, but it does provide them um, an opportunity to kind of see the whole person and the whole picture as opposed to, to having perhaps a limited view. And so having had judges that um, were from such a broad spectrum that represented such vastly different backgrounds who brought with them their own personal experiences and their personal opinions. Right. And I, I think, you know, um, sometimes, uh, you know, you, we would get criticized for having a course like this and say, oh, you're just preaching to the choir. And I, I think that um, uh, you're right, Judge uh, Williams-Byer, that um, the judges we or took part in that course were not only coming from di different geographical um, areas of the country, but also different um, point of views or experience um, in dealing with this particular topic. Uh, and so I think, uh, as you mentioned, um, the oppression monopoly was a good uh, scene setter, but also I think the... Um, the first, uh, actually, uh, um, icebreaker for the course was the dismantling uh, the inequity puzzle, puzzle, as you recall, and that also helped sets the stage. While it was a silent exercise where no one was supposed to speak, it, it helped um, engage each other to figure out how to communicate, understand uh, where. Uh, folks were coming from just based on not only nonverbal cues, but um, also to be able to work as a team. And so I think 
that brought the class in the beginning together to be able to tackle uh, some of the difficult issues that later on the course um, address. And, and, you know, right after the um, oppression monopoly exercise, we had um, Mr. Jeffrey Robinson, um, who, as, as, as our audience, the audience probably know, have uh, done an award-winning documentary on chronicle racism in America. And so we had an opportunity to, to watch that, but also then engage in a conversation with uh, Mr. Robinson, uh, which was incredibly impactful uh, as one of the uh, course participants um, described. The, the literature about the course says that it includes history, cognitive science, psychological and sociological research, but it also says it has experiential learning. Can you talk about that? How did you incorporate experiential learning into this class of four days? Well, the experiential learning portion of the course is our visit to uh, the National um, Civil Rights Museum. Uh, and we were lucky to um, have a partnership with the museum who uh, not only um, curated a, a tour for us, but also uh, had uh, shared with us some um, not-so-public exhibits uh, that the uh, course participants were able to, to view. And we heard from the uh, president of the museum as well and addressed on the importance of the museum and the work of the museum. So um, that, that was an emotional experience. If you've not been to the National um, Civil Rights Museum, and of course, which is uh, the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was shot, is part of that museum, uh, a pretty emotional, um, uh, incredibly impressive, impressive. And, and, and I think you can go through that museum without, um, uh, not only feeling the times, but, uh, being changed by the experience. And I know that that's what some of the course participants have, um, and if I can say also what I saw in that experiential experience with um, the partnership with the National Civil Rights Museum is just as you said, President Aldana, the emotional aspect of that experience that par participants may not have necessarily anticipated or expected, but having such a highly trained and professional museum staff they anticipated and they expected there to certainly be um, an emotional response to some of the artifacts that were presented to the, the course participants. So much so that as part of this relationship with the National Civil Rights Museum and as part of um, this component of the course, they actually built in an opportunity to reflect to decompress, to um, give oneself the, re the agency and even the ability to feel emotionally, that whole range of emotions from having been not only at the scene of the assassination of Dr. King, but to also have experienced the museum with um, all of its highs and lows. And it recognized that very early on and purposely built that into the experience of being at the museum itself, which I found to be a celebratory moment because I could mm -hmm. tell 
that there were participants who were emotionally overwhelmed and needed an opportunity to find out how to best release it or decompress it. Because quite frankly, you know, I like to say we work in these robes, but we don't live in them. At the end of the day, we're human beings and we have feelings and we have thoughts um, and we have opinions and we have perspective about a lot of things. But being able to face these things forward, just as this course had envisioned and realizing that that goal was met and to send judges back out to their communities, their neighborhoods, their their benches with this new perspective and actually giving them an opportunity to own their feelings and their emotions, I think provides one of the best benefits you could have from a judicial educational standpoint. I believe one of the first things that, uh, at least in the literature I've read about the course, one of the first things is that you try to get people to understand their own biases and prejudices. Uh, most people coming to this course, I assume, think that they're uh, not racist, or uh, some may even think they're anti-racist. Uh, what do you do to get them to recognize some of the implicit bias they may have and not realize? Yeah, so um, one of the objective of this course um, is to um, focus the conversation beyond implicit bias. So, so our hope was to uh, attract judges who understood that, understood the impact of implicit bias in, in their lives and their decision-making. Um, and, and so I think the last time we talked, I really envisioned this course to be like a 400-level type course. Right. But we also understood that people are coming from different experiences. And so actually at the begin, at the, the exercises that Judge Williams-Byer talked about at the beginning help facilitate to have this discussion by recognizing um, everyone's different experience uh, and also understanding people's biases, implicit or explicit. Uh, and so there was a lot of sharing, um, uh, as, as I recall, uh, at the beginning of the, uh, of the course, uh, so that people understood where people were coming from. Uh, but obviously, those also came out throughout the whole uh, process. Um, Judge Byers, uh, let me ask you, uh, staying on this point of personal and implicit bias, um, one has to recognize that in order to observe systemic bias in the courtroom, correct? They, they sort of go hand in glove, do they not? Indeed, um, indeed. And, and that requires that um, you sort of do some inward reflection as well. I think one of the things that we did um, in this course that I don't necessarily see done um, in other courses, which is exactly why I think the National Judicial College um, is and remains on the forefront of judicial education um, nationally and beyond, is that we really worked hard to, to create an environment where judges felt safe acknowledging where they were, wherever they were. And we did that by kind of setting out the, the parameters of how we would engage these conversations, knowing very early on that they were difficult, 
knowing that we weren't calling anyone's um, judgment as a jurist into question, um, but rather we wanted to set an environment and create an environment that allowed them to be very, very reflective of themselves, of whatever preconceived notions, stereotypes, feelings, and at the same time, remind the rest of the room that no matter where someone came from with those perspectives, that we would give them grace and we would work hard to assign best intentions to those feelings or those thoughts, because that would create the safest environment, first of all, for individuals to be candid and transparent and to be able to work through them, but also for us to achieve the ultimate goal of transitioning from you know, you not just having these feelings personally to how these feelings translate into the work that you do each day and how that is affecting or could affect or does affect or would affect or impact your judgment each and every day. And it's so imperative to have that safe environment that allows someone to reflect on whatever their feelings are without fear that those perceptions, those feelings, and in, even some of those stereotypes would be so negatively judged that there would be no benefit derived from the course itself. And we also had um, Dr. Robert Livingston who um, helped facilitate these conversations uh, as part of the course when we started talking about bias uh, in your court. Um, and uh, as you know, he is uh, an expert in being able to draw out those um, conversations um, and ensure that the conversation is focused on um, and not shift or um, draw the attention somewhere else. So um, uh, we had him for uh, two days, um, as I recall, Judge Williams Byer. You are correct. And um, it was wonderful to have him. So we hope to have him again. So, Let me ask you uh, something. In the learning objectives of this course, there are two. One says to differentiate between effective and ineffective interventions. And the second says to create or facilitate effective interventions to address bias in the courtroom. Um let me be devil's advocate for a moment. I don't know what that means. Can somebody translate that for me? What What are you trying to get across and what are you trying to uh, imbue in the judges to go forward with? Right. So judges um, who I believe attended this course uh, were not only focused on their self-education, but also I think most of them were committed to going back to their courtroom and making some real change to address some of those systemic issues. And and so I think with that view in mind and taking that course, we wanted to make sure at the end of the course, we provided some, some tools uh, to do that. Um, and when we met how to be effective, uh, and, and Dr. Livingston um, helped us uh, with his presentation uh, because that, that's what he does in terms of working with organizations. Uh, and 
And, and so that's what we meant by effective, is to, to look at the, the, the issue and be able to come up with tools that uh, can really address um, some of the um, issues in the courtroom. And, so. and, Judge Byers, you and I have talked you and I have talked before about band-aid approaches that right. uh, are ineffective. Uh, did, this went beyond that, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and I was just thinking about some of our prior conversations about you know the bandaid or putting the bandaid on the severed arm, if you will. Right. Um, and this far and away exceeded um, even you know even that analogy. It is the idea that we know there are judges all over the country who don't sit alone on their benches. In fact, they have colleagues, some of which they're very, very close to. And sometimes colleagues share you know, similar views or viewpoints um, or similar perceptions or similar stereotypes that have not yet had the opportunity for exposure to being debunked. But if we can take a judge from an environment and educate them and provide them with tools to have comfortable conversations with their colleagues and to help inspire the judiciary in their own backyard. I believe this is exactly how um, we are able to impact and affect entire communities, even when everyone, um, you know, just for logistical purposes, can't can attend a single course. And quite frankly, that's in part what's happened as a result of this course. Um, there were judges who attended who were so inspired by not only what they experienced, but what they learned, um, what they now felt empowered to do, what they were, what they felt capable of doing, and how they could now go back and talk to their colleagues about having tools to use when in the courtroom. Again, not suggesting that they apply the facts to the law differently than, than they should or than they are required to, but providing them with perspective and knowing that they are a trusted voice, knowing that they um, have earned the trust and um, even the confidence of their colleagues to be able to have these conversations so that they can change how these things are handled and addressed and how they are responded to sometimes in the courtroom in you know in live session and this is what we had hoped to accomplish uh, on a few levels is being able to empower our colleagues to be able to make um, thoughtful decisions correct decisions but looking through the right kind of lens at the right time and taking all of those things into consideration when making determinations where judges are provided the discretion to do so. And I think that makes an awful lot of difference. And that is more than a Band-Aid. I believe that that is where we see the benefits of longstanding change, starting with the judiciary, this third branch of government um, upon which I think all democracies will rely on um, to hold it up. And, you know, and one of the things that uh, Dr. Livingston's message, and certainly in writing his book, is that the first step in solving any problem is becoming aware and acknowledging that the problem even exists. And so we wanted to make sure that we cover that. We had uh, Professor uh, Gloria Brown Marshall, who her uh, topic was 
learning from our racialized beginnings and kind of look at the historical perspective uh, of um, racism in our, in our, in our uh, beginnings. Uh, and also we looked at the barriers to reform and looking at the financial inequalities. Uh, we also had uh, Judge John McCarrow, who's a tribal judge from Washington State, give us a perspective from um, the American Indian's perspective and, and racism in the court system. Um, and then Professor Chang also um, had a presentation on machine bias in the courts and the use of risk assessment. And so part of getting to the, being able to uh, address the problem is understanding it. So we wanted to make sure we had some uh, presentations uh, on the di many different topics that looks well, at the problem, so. Let, let me ask, uh, I, I know to <laughs> President Aldana, you're a retired judge, I'm a retired judge. Uh, judge Byers is still sitting here and there, I assume, and, but I guess she's a retired judge. Uh, clearly retired. We're, okay. Clearly We're, retired uh, member of the uh, NJC family. Yeah. There you go. But, but words matter to us in, in the law. And I look at your final learning objective, and it says – lead impactful initiatives to identify and mitigate sources of bias in the legal system. Now, it doesn't say just in your court or in your courthouse or in your branch of, of, of courts, if you're in a bifurcated branch system in a state. You say in the legal system. Now, I assume that was intentional. What are yeah. you trying to get these people to do? Well, it's intentional because I think um, judges have a responsibility to improve the administration of justice. And that administration uh, does not just mean in the courtroom. It means in the way that, obviously, justice is administered. And the entire legal system, uh, there are others part of the legal system that are act actors and and part of that. So, uh, for instance, I know that uh, one of our participants is um, a presiding, chief presiding um, judge for his state. And so when he looks at that, this issue is not only affecting the courts that he, he works with, but the entire legal system. Because as we all know, we can't just address the problem in one sector. It has to be addressed in the entire system, and in fact, in our entire society, right? So uh, lawyers, judges are one part of it, but we have a whole bigger society to to address. And with, with the issue of um, racism in the, in the system, we obviously there's the um, law enforcement side um, and access to justice issues um, and others that are that intersects um, the the courts and. Because courts obviously are um, integral part of the system, they uh, also need to, to take the leadership um, sometimes in addressing these issues. And so that's what we meant, and we we were intentional in in uh, using those words. Let's talk about uh, results. Uh, I know it's just been a few months since you've had your first course. But I also know that the National Judicial College loves to do follow-up uh, with course attendees. Yes. Uh, Judge 
Judge Byers or, or President Aldana, what results have you seen so far from the first course? Well, I know Judge Byers uh, will have some specific um, examples, but uh, we are committed committed to follow up. And I, I just want to say that as part of our new uh, strategic plan, we want to um, be more intentional and actually dev- devote more resource in understanding the impact that our courses are, are making. And so this course is one of those courses that we already have our uh, researchers uh, focusing in, on and not only um, getting feedback from the course participants, but doing some 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 follow-ups. Um, and I know that the course um, is being used as a model to replicate and, and, and do a similar type of presentation in other states. Um, I know Judge Byers is familiar with some of those. Um, but uh, we don't have the specific kind of data that we can I can share now, but um, in our next uh, podcast, I will be able to share that because uh, we are devoting resources to uh, understanding our impact uh, of our courses. So, and wonderful. I think uh, Judge Byers, let me just ask, frame the question to you, though. Anecdotally, what have you heard from feedback from any of your participants? And let's talk about that before we go uh, into the topic of replication. Absolutely. And so here's what I can tell you is I, I think I tried to, um, you know, kind of anecdotally make it my business to connect with um, judges I had never <laughs> met before um, and met initially at this at this course and have um, had the joy of remaining in contact with them. I've learned that just as President Aldana has indicated, um, and as we had hoped would happen, that there are judges that have taken this experience back to their homes, to their backyards, to their any town USA, and sought to replicate courses similar to this um, so as to raise um, and to heighten awareness and to provide uh, a platform and opportunity to discuss um, in a very face-forward manner um, how the judiciary is impacted um, by this, by race, and what it means to be an anti-racist. Um, I think, um, Judge Hodson, you and I have talked about that before, that it's just not okay right. um, to be against it. it. You must be an anti-racist in order for this thing to really be successful. And I've actually seen that happen. I had um, the opportunity to actually um, teach for one of these courses a few um, a month or so ago, where clearly it is um, and it was an effort to duplicate, replicate to some degree the course that the judicial college had put forward, and in fact, the judge that was um, spearheading this had actually attended this course and was so moved by it that they felt it important and necessary to bring it back home, where that state um, has. Um, begun a committee and task force to address some of these issues in the judiciary um, and to make market um, steps to improve the understanding and the perspective of their own judges. And one thing I'll say, and um, President Aldana might might, um, agree with me on this, and I I would hope also um, you as well, um, Judge Hodson, is that what I did find shocking and what I were well not shocking, what I found interesting in um, speaking with judges who had attended this course 
and even others who are looking forward to attending subsequent courses, is how much of our history is lost or has been lost, um, even to those who see themselves as particularly learned. The sessions that were taught by Professor um, Brown Marshall, um, by Professor Livingston, um, and, um, and Dr. Robinson shed light on some parts of our history that I know for a fact there were some in attendance who had never been aware of, had never been exposed to. For example, um, Judge Hodson, there are those who don't realize that our beloved uh, Star Spangled Banner um, actually has four verses. And the mm -hmm. third verse <laughs> to that Star Spangled Banner might actually set someone back on their heels if they were to hear it um, as it was originally written and intended by Francis Scott Keyes. Part of that, part of that verse um, says, no refuge could save the hiring, hireling and slave from the terror right. of flight or the gloom of the grave. And it ends with that the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave, oh, the land of the free and the home of the brave. That is just one of the four verses of, wow. this, of this beloved song that we sing regularly. And there are those who have been demonized for, you know, electing not to um, reference it or not to sing it. But if you only knew it in its entirety, you might actually be shocked to learn um, the true history of the Star Spangled Banner. There are those who have no concept of what the reconstructive period or the period of reconstruction was in America um, pre-Jim Crow. And so teaching this to judges whose decisions actually change the trajectory of an individual's life by the pronouncement of their words is so important um, that I am so excited and I applaud those um, states and those judiciaries where they are taking affirmative steps to engage their judges, to educate them holistically so that they can be really truly aware of the impact of their decision making and how it also carries some historical perspective with it. Judge Aldana, I know that uh, the we've talked before the the National Judicial College is the gold standard of judicial education, but I know other states look at you for guidance. Uh, if if states are out there and want to do something like this, can they reach out to you and and get uh, advice or any kind of consultation? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know. <laughs> During these times we live in where there's, for some reason, I'm not sure why there's such opposition to learning, uh, opposition to le understanding our history, uh, opposition to just understanding um, so that we can address some of these more difficult uh, problems we face. Um, we, we're here, obviously, for the, for the judiciary. Uh, to provide assistance in um, doing what we can to uh, ensure the judges are um, are educated. Um, so yeah, we, yes, we are here. So, so let me ask one last thing of you, uh, President Aldana, and that is, 
what's next? I know the Judicial College always plans ahead. And if this is a four-day course on theory and practice, are you considering what is the follow-up? Yes. Um, So what's next? First of all, I wanted just to give a shout out to the college because we are celebrating our 60th anniversary. Oh, uh, congratulations. Uh, I should have mentioned that at the beginning, um, but as uh, we kind of move forward in the, um, uh, in the next 60 years or uh, at least the five years that where we have a strategic plan that we just recently approved, we are uh, focusing on, um, as I alluded to, uh, investing more in our, in our research uh, investing more in um, doing international outreach. Uh, and also, we are excited. Um, sometime soon, you'll hear an announcement uh, on uh, our initiative to uh, focus on rule of law. Um, one of our, actually, our number one strategic priority um, in our new strategic plan is to ensure judges understand their role in promoting the independence and impartiality and fairness uh, of the courts. So everything we do will revolve around that particular uh, strategic uh, priority. But but more exciting um, announcement to come in the near future, so. President Aldana, I I appreciate all of your efforts. I know people in the judiciary across the country do, and the average listener out there appreciates what you're doing and trying to educate our judges to have our courts reflect appropriately uh, a, a, a venue of being unbiased and anti-racist. And Judge Byers, as always, I, I appreciate you so much in being in the front lines and in the trenches on this, uh, actually doing the teaching. Judge Aldana can think up the courses, but you're out there teaching the courses, and uh, that's so important. If, yeah. Thank you, Judge Hudson. Appreciate it. And if I can say thank yeah. you to President Aldana, to the entire National Judicial College um, family um, for welcoming me um, to join the college um, in the capacity that I am in as a judicial fellow, um, it is deeply an honor. And especially as we celebrate um, six decades, 60 years of service to the judiciary, um, educating them, and by extension, making the world a more just place because we have educated judges. Um, But we could not possibly be as effective as we are, but for partners like you, Judge Hodson, um, and for WOUV, um, and the ability to talk about these very pertinent topics that affect everyone at every level and every stage of their life, because the judiciary has that ability to impact them that way. So thank you so very much. Um, and thank you to, again, the awesome leadership of President Aldana and the NJC in addressing these matters. They matter so very much, and they impact us um, at every stage. Appreciate you. President Aldana, let's uh, continue the conversation uh, a few months from now and see how we're doing, okay? Thank you, Judge Hudson. Look forward to it. And again, thank you for shining um, a light on um, the importance of the judiciary. Thank you. We thank both of you for your commitment and for being with us today. Thank you. 
Today, Judge Benis Aldanda, president of the National Judicial College, and Judge Gail Williams Byers discuss ways of creating anti-racist courtroom. Spectrum is produced by WWB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available anytime at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts or have suggested topics for us to look into for the future, please get a hold of me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone. <laughs>